HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Bento Box, a full-service marketing and commerce platform that helps restaurants get discovered, make more money, and engage their diners. Join over 8,000 restaurants already using Bento Box today to deliver better hospitality. Visit getbento.com slash chef today to get your first month free. That's getbento.com slash chef. HRN is now on Kitch, the first live streaming community for the food obsessed. Go to K-I-T-T-C-H dot com and find HRN in the channel's listing. Welcome to Spill and Dish, a new podcast from the Specialty Food Association. Founded in 1952, SFA is the leading trade association and source of information about the $170 billion specialty food industry. We champion the food producers, retailers, and other buyers who make up the specialty food world. In each episode, we want to share the stories behind the products made and sold by our members who are helping shape the future of food. You can listen and discover the inspiration, recipe, craft, culture, ingredients, and production methods that help answer the question, what makes specialty food special? I'm today's host, Gretchen Van Esselsten, Director of Education at SFA. We're so happy to bring you this episode and so pleased to be working with Heritage Radio Network to bring you this show. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit podcast network covering the world of food, drink, and agriculture and expanding the way that eaters think about food. Our guest today is Jamari Pinkert of Hella Cocktail Company. So Jamari, would you tell our listeners a bit about the products that you make? Sure, I'm happy to. Um, and thanks for having me again on the show and happy 70th anniversary to the SFA. You guys have been doing incredible work through the years. Um, in regards to the Hella Cocktail Company, we are a portfolio company who makes uh all the tools that you need on your cocktail or mocktail journey, uh, i.e. your cocktail bitters, your crack and pour mixers, and our newest innovation, a ready-to-drink non, uh, non-alcoholic sparkling aperitif called a bitters and soda. Super delicious. Yum, yum. So bitters and soda, um, I think you and I talked about this once before, but this is the thing. When I was a line cook, that would be the thing that would get me through the night. I, our bartender would sometimes send it in to me when I was uh, feeling a little queasy, feeling a little hot back there. And it got, and even now, it's my, my standard order when I'm at restaurants. And your bitters and soda tastes so delicious. So um, I just 
adore it. I mean, we, we really, we really had that same insight a long time ago when we first started making cocktail bitters, you know, one of the insights when we would do like in-store tastings was we needed a vessel to showcase the actual complexity and depth of, of cocktail bitters, which are, for those who don't know, a flavorful infusion of spices, fruit, and bitter root. Um, we would use, you know, club soda or apple juice or lemonade or something like that, that you already knew what taste, what, what the flavor components were. And we added our dashes of bitters to it. And when we did it to soda water, people would just ask us, do you make that? Do you make that concoction? And so we've always had the dream of, of bringing bringing to life the, the flavor components and the complexity of bitters in a different vessel. And so the bitters and sodas really a culmination of that of insight uh, that you've you know clearly aligned on in terms of the bartender's secret weapon a long time ago when you're not in a drinking space. Absolutely, and I think so many of us grew up with that bottle of Angostura in the cabinet uh, that sat there. I literally for probably ten years or more when I was growing up. Did you grow up with that in your house? We didn't, you know, I didn't. But it is, I, you know, and my background is Caribbean, so it's a shame on my parents, but. Um, it was definitely a staple in a lot of households, you know, um, because it was a staple for, for that exact thing. When you had a, a tummy ache or something like that, someone's grandma would always often prescribe a bitters and soda because the bitter root itself is kind of a tummy culminative. And so it's really known for a lot of digestive health um, in the Caribbean. But in, if you get to like, you know, Italian, European culture, the digestive aperitif moment does the same thing. It prepares you for and after dinner for the same reasons that, you know, for the for the aid in digestion. So bitters does have this um, this this superhero kind of um, calmative properties that that go back uh, hundreds of years. While we're talking about it. So you you said you grew up in a Caribbean family. What was the food culture like? Wow, we ate everything. I mean, we ate everything from really, really fresh fish. If you know, my my mom is from from St. Croix. And my dad's from Belize, uh, both, both, you know, places near water. And so fresh fish was something that I grew up eating a ton of, um, as well as, I mean, pretty much everything. Right. And so I got to give kudos to my family specifically because everyone in my family can cook their butts off. And so not only do we eat, you know, Caribbean food and jerk chicken and things like that, but we also grew up, you know, eating amazing lasagna and, and more American cuisines that have, you know, been tailored to, to the American palate. And so we, we ate everything, you know, and so I could rattle off a hundred dishes that, that I can't make at this point better than anyone in my family. Um, but some of them have heritage. Some of them are kind of remixed dishes. Um, and some of them are just like, you know, pure classic American cuisine. Fantastic. That sounds so good. Is this your first career, Jamari, or, or were you in another business before this? Oh, great question. No, I've had, I felt like I've had a few careers. Um, you know, it's, it's an interesting idea that you can have a few different journeys in the same life and maybe not, you, you take things away from them, but don't actually remember yourself in them. And I'll just give you a quick side story and then I'll tell you about mine. Um, I remember being, you know, 20 something years old and, 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 and finding my mom's military army kind of outfit and, and, and boots in the closet and then reminded myself, oh yeah, my mom was in the army when she was a young adult and asking her about that memory. And, you know, she, she said she, it was a different life ago, right? Like she's a mom of three boys now and she remembers it, but she doesn't remember herself being in the army, you know, shooting weapons, driving a tank or driving a Humvee, et cetera, et cetera. And I have that same kind of like understanding now of it, you know, at this point, you know, my, my journey started off as a financial analyst at a place called Marshall McLennan. 
Before that, I was a volunteer at the Salvation Army Red Cross uh, World Trade Center Disaster Relief Fund. Um, and after all that, I worked for the NFL for a while doing consulting work. So all these careers um, have a, a lot of things that are similar, and I'll, I'll share what that is. But I don't remember being there, right? But I remember all the the impact that it left me with. Um, but I don't remember the day-to-day activities. And the common thread that I realized about myself was that I enjoy sharing knowledge. That was my thing. I wanted to pay things forward over and over and over. And so the idea that I got to do this at Hella in an intersection that I kind of really also enjoy being the social atmosphere, um, where you get to pass information, cocktails, experiences, et cetera, et cetera, um, really are the through line for my career and the things that keep me going. Absolutely. I know that feeling where you feel like it's a movie you saw. You were, it was you, but it doesn't feel like you, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. Yep. Well, um, what you just said about, you know, passing along info and also about the finances of it just makes me think. So, you know, just a few months back, Jamari and I were on stage at the, in Las Vegas at the Winter Fancy Food Show, and he was sharing with our basics audience. This is the all day class that we do before each fancy food show. And he was really talking about the, the really complicated in economics of the specialty food and beverage, uh, business. All businesses have it, but there's something about, um, food and beverage that, that can make things tricky. Would you give us a couple of uh, insights on that? Sure. I mean, there are so many things that make the food and beverage tricky. I think the first one is is always the one that is sneaks up on everyone the most as they get, you know, kind of the, themselves familiar with the, the food and beverage industry. And that is the fact that the things you make at home that you make in your kitchen, um, the things that your parents have cooked for you and that you've learned to make, um, unfortunately, for the most part, don't scale proportionally in terms of the cost to make them, right? Like the, you can't take the same amazing secret sauce the way your grandma made it and like commercialize it in the same way. And the economics behind those are, are literally the first thing that people, that people kind of, you know, have it, have an obstacle and an, and a, and a, and an issue with because it's really hard to do it. And so I think thinking through how to make that secret recipe at scale, um, is the first challenge. Um, to think about and to get help on because it can be just as good. It's just a different, uh, different roadmap, um, and a different proportionality that you're used to, um, from the home kitchen. So that's like number one obstacle, number one challenge that I think most people who are passionate about specialty food kind of go through. Um, I think the second is then finding all the, the resources that help you rebuild it, right? To rebuild that recipe at scale, um, is a challenge because if you don't come from the industry itself, you're kind of trying to figure out where things are made, right? What country they come from and how to get them here or how to get a glass bottle or a container or whatever the thing is and how to kind of rebuild your product or your, your passionate, you know, thing that you make at home into a product that everyone else can enjoy. Um, is, is, is the, is obviously the, the second and biggest challenge that, that every food entrepreneur will go to go through because that's just how things are made, um, to be on shelf, um, or to be at your favorite, you know, farmer's market. And I'm happy to talk more about it, but. Thank you very much. Um, so one of the things that you just mentioned are some of the obstacles with getting started. And I wanted to ask, so can you tell me about a time or maybe even two times where you felt like you were just, you're just going to quit. You just had it with trying to get this business going. Wow. That's a great question. What I've just had it. I think, I think early on the challenges that we had were, um, trying to gain credibility, right? And it's like you're going against this uphill battle of uh, 
trying to let people know that you are legitimate and that you make something that's really good. And, you know, most people want to close the door or hang up the phone because who are you? And I've never heard of your brand before. So I'd say the initial credibility, you know, most people would call it marketing, but just getting your foot indoors and getting those closed is always the most challenging place, especially when it's just you or your, you and your buddies or you and your business partner. And you're walking into XYZ store and trying to find the person who's a decision maker and nobody wants to give you their name because they've been told, like, this is not how we do this process at scale um, is always the most challenging. And so for us, I think just getting a, the nose um, early on and even now, right, even you, you're never not getting nose at some level. It's just the number of nose you get is proportional. And hopefully the number of yeses, you know, helps you move move on. But I think just having perseverance and, and knowing that it takes time, the, you know, the first level of a no is really about awareness. And so you want to get as many no's as you can up front in front of you, because really the no's are awareness. They're bringing your brand and your product to the to the awareness set of or the consideration set of whoever your end consumer is, whether or not it's a a end consumer or a retailer, um, th- you want to get a lot of no's on the board, right? Because that's how you get to yeses. And there's no yeses without no's. Um, and so that's always a challenge that we had from the beginning. Um, and to put that body armor to know that you know that's going to happen is 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 often the first um, challenge to overcome that you can overcome um, kind of with mental fortitude. So I'd say like that's one thing um, that is a that is a, a gift and a curse. And you need to turn the curse into a gift every time. Excellent. And then sort of the other side of that coin is, was there a moment or moments where you really kind of knew you were going to make it or that you had made it? Great question. I think, you know, uh, there, there was a moment when when we were tapped to do a commercial, a nationally televised commercial um, with American Express a few years back, where with all the doubts that we had about, you know, getting awareness right to that earlier point um we realized that the the community that we were solving for at that time the bartender community the home kind of bartender community had 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 awareness of who we were uh, to the point where uh, a large corporation like that was willing to put their you know their communication message of entrepreneurship small business and ability to fund it through our lens right and so that was kind of a, a culminating moment that gave us um, the what's the right word the um, the confidence to say oh we've been we are recognized people don't do know who we are we're not kind of this ancillary product on the side that that no one knows about and so I think that moment was a little bit more jet fuel to say the hard work that you've put in getting all those no's and converting to a few yeses um, is validated absolutely. So, you know, with that sense of having made it, I know that you part of your mission is to really help lift up other entrepreneurs. Could you talk a little bit about some of the mentoring that you do? Sure. Um, I've always been a, a advocate of of mentoring. I mean, you know, when you come from a kind of tough neighborhoods in New York City, and that's just like a lot of people's stories, so it's not anything particular to mine. But what's the what's the issue there and what's difficult about it is not having a framework, a blueprint, people to, you know, copy your, your kind of um, pathway after that's really tough. And so I've always wanted to show others um, that there's many ways to get to wherever you 
your kind of definition of success is. And uh, one of the one of the ways that I want to do that and continue to do that is by leaving some form of a blueprint. And so some of that blueprint is in the mentoring process itself, right? That's part of it. You can't move forward and not bring everyone along that wants to come on your part of the journey. And so one of the ways that I've that I've done that, um, particularly in this moment, is by mentoring in a program called SKU, the SKU Accelerator, um, which is a great program for CPG based companies. Um, who are trying to figure it out. You know, they've have they have a product, they're in some stores and they want to sharpen their blade and understand how distribution works, how production works at scale, um, how to refine their brand story, but also, and more importantly, how to be a good leader, right? How to be a good entrepreneur and founder and how to think through, you know, the things they're doing every day. And so, and 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 really how to bring their true self to the table where their brand can actually be a, a vessel for their story and authenticity. And so mentoring for me is like a way to have that through line um, through other founders, other entrepreneurs, other business persons. Um, and so I think I think it's super important. And so while SKU is one of one way that I do that mentoring, um, there's a there's a few others, uh, namely included, which is another group of 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 BIPOC CEOs that are all trying to solve for helping each other in that space. And this is a mentor, mentee, you know, you're a collective of, of, of CEOs who are doing it for each other. Um, there's another group where I'm a mentor of called Project Potluck, where there are mentees and, and mentors and, and, um, who for, for CPG, um, also food and beverage, uh, you know, personnel, people who are at colleagues who are working and try to figure out their own pathways and just need a little bit of guidance, a little bit of help, depending on where they are and where they sit at different intersections. And so for me, those are just three ways that I, that I believe in mentoring, but I think there are so many ways and I encourage everyone who's listening to then get, get involved in, in their own special way that's unique and, and, and helps them pay it forward. I love that. Thank you. So getting back to your brand a little bit, I know you had at least one pretty big brand evolution in terms of the look and feel of your product. Could you talk a little bit about that journey? Sure. Um, you know, when you start out as a small business and you're, you know, you're either in hobby land or it's, it's very, very early stage, um, ideation, you kind of, you know, and, and I encourage this, it's not going to be perfect. Whatever you create is not perfect. And you go with what works in that moment and you push it forward. Right. And you get feedback and reaction. And so with us, our original, our original, um, Branding came from these amazing grad students from Texas A&M who are friends of the family, friends of the Hella family. I mean, and still remain friends of the family. Um, and they create, they, they helped us come up with this amazing roller cap and glasses concept, um, where it really married, um, kind of, uh, wisdom and classic wisdom with cocktailian kind of, kind of swag and feel to it. And the brand was, was amazing, right? It was, it was beautiful. It was very hipster, very, uh, you're in the know. If you know cocktail culture, you understand uh, the lens that our, our, the character we created looks through. Um, and it was great. And, and what we realized over time was as we grew and the brand grew, we needed a brand refresh because, we wanted to talk to more people. We wanted to, we wanted, we wanted to, to, to not only include the in the know cocktail enthusiasts, but we wanted to also open the spectrum to novices and people who are just interested, but were still intimidated by the cool character and the, and, and the kind of, um, the kind of cocktail nerd, um, if you will, that was the current, the old packaging. And so in order to do that, um, 
we did some focus groups. We really leaned into all of our stakeholders, whether or not they were uh, our distributors or our end consumers or um, specialty stores who were selling us. We just literally asked them, what works on this brand? Does the branding match the flavor profile? Does it match the quality, you know, which is which is what we stand on as our number one laurel? And so um, they were like, hey, you can do better, right? You can you can make this a little bit more elevated. Um, and, and that identity of elevated choice is really what we wanted to hone in on is this is for everyone. Um, and there's a reason for it. The quality is great, but we want to make sure that your experience wherever you are on your cocktail or non-alcoholic uh, cocktail journey is still elevated and you feel like you're you're able to employ the choice. And hell is that intersection for that solve. And so by listening to all of our stakeholders, we were able then to create a different and take it to our designers and say, here's all the insight, here's all the feedback. Now help us iterate on the new packaging identity that reflects those values. And so with that insight, with those insights, we we're able to come up with this amazing uh, new packaging that really is focused around the ingredient centric story, right? And so making people aware that the ingredients are paramount um, uh, also allowed for people to feel like they were invited because everyone kind of knows their key ingredients, things they like. If you like, you know, cinnamon, you can see it on the packaging. If you like cloves, you can see it in the packaging. So it's a much more inviting packaging um, that was about ingredient and less about um, the sub-identity of the kind of cocktail culture. Wonderful. So non-alcoholic beverages for adults are really on trend right now. We're seeing it everywhere. How does it feel to be on that wave? It's great. I mean, you know, for us, we always feel like we've been We've been leaders in cocktail culture, um, going back to bitters when people were like, you know, our first fancy food show was 2013 and we were the only, the only bitters there. And we were probably the only thing that even felt like it was in the alcohol space at all there. And everyone was like, what the hell are bitters? Right. That was, <laughs> that, that, that was the question. People were just like, I don't get it. Um, and for us, it was like over and over repeating the same thing, right? This is, your kitchen spices, infusions, um, one of the four quintessential cocktail ingredients. Um, and over time, you know, it made a dent. People got it, right? People got it. And so I think, I think we're at it again. We're at it again. We're like, what's a bitters and soda? Why is it special? Why is it important? And the idea that we get to tell the story in advance of cocktail culture catching up to us again, where the non-alcoholic movement is, is, is here, but it's at the very, very beginning. And for us, we've been we've been on the forefront of it the entire time. Feels like finally the tailwinds are behind us, and they're pushing us forward versus resisting against you know the elements. And so the idea that we get to tell a story that's inter already intersected with tailwinds behind us already, um, and that we get to be leaders in this space is pretty cool. Um, finally, for that to for 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 the wind to catch our back. Um, so we're super excited about the space. But I think the more important thing for us is that we still sit at the intersection of choice. I think the numbers like around 80% of, of um, people who are not drinking are drinkers, right? And so what that means is they're just ebbing and flowing through whether or not they're having a cocktail or not. Um, and so we want to make sure that that experience for the cocktail occasion is what stays quality and stays elevated. And that's where we're the most excited about this intersection that we, that hell is really uniquely positioned to play. What a great time for your business. So we're almost out of time, but before we go, we'd like you to participate in our final segment, which we call Take Five. It's five quick questions. But first, we're going to pause for a break. Did you know that over 70% of diners research a restaurant online before ordering from or going in person? 
Your digital front door is more important than ever. Let BentoBox design and build you a beautifully branded website. BentoBox websites provide sleek design and seamless content management, creating impactful first impressions and converting visitors into customers. And with built-in commerce and marketing tools like online ordering, gift cards, automated email, and more, you can also grow your revenue and keep your diners coming back. Join over 8,000 restaurants that leverage Bento Box to power their digital presence and deliver great hospitality. Visit getbento.com slash chef today to get your first month free. That's getbento.com slash chef. HRN is excited to announce that we've launched our channel on Kitch, the new food-centric live streaming video platform for interviews, cooking classes, and more. In April, in collaboration with Kitch and the Mushroom Council, we're celebrating Earth Month with delicious, nutritious, and sustainable mushroom recipes. Check out the latest videos on our channel to see Eat Your Heartland Out host Capri Cafaro, Jupiter's Almanac host Matthew Rayford, and Item 13 host Yoram Akuaku moderate recipe demos with chefs Jeremy Fox and Ali Rosen. Join us at K-I-T-T-C-H dot com to become part of the first live streaming community for the food obsessed. Okay, so here are your five questions for our final segment, Take Five. So Jamari, what is your favorite thing about the specialty food industry? Wow, that's a great question. Um, it's My favorite thing has always been this. Um, it's about the idea that the SFA is a platform to inspire and give hope to um, fellow entrepreneurs and fellow businesses on their journey, right? It, it, the, the, whether or not it's the, the fancy food show or the community hub or other places to engage, the idea that there's an inspirational platform that allows you to kind of pick apart and, and peel back the onion uh, is something that we've, as, as a team here at Hala, but also me specifically, have always been encouraged about and excited about. Great. What's one thing about our industry that is really tricky? Great question. Um, the hardest, the, the trickiest part about the industry is that there are so many layers to it, right? There's unknowns that you don't even know until you're engaged in it. For instance, who would know that the broker network is so important um, in the industry, that there's a there's a, a network of people who are assigned to almost help buyers at retailers figure out what's on trend, right? We would, no one would know there's, there's another layer, um, that, that helps play that role effectively. Um, and that you would have to talk to and engage with, right? And so I think that's just one example of, 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 of what's not known. And I think there's a lot of what's not known until you're doing it full time. If you were not running this beverage business, what would you be doing? If I was not running this beverage business, I would I would be leaning more into a, a role where I was able to help galvanize, invest in, and accelerate uh, businesses that are just like mine. Right? This is uh, uh, that's that's my 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 dream for my next part of my journey, um, which is kind of uh, bridging the gap between entrepreneurs, founders, ideas uh, that don't have the backing but are great, but don't have the network effects that others do. What's the one piece of advice that you'd give to a new food business? Wow, that's a great question. Um, but it's, it's, it's no doubt 
uh, be authentic to your own story, your own journey, because your brand will bleed it whether or not you want it to or not. And how do you define specialty food? Uh, specialty food. What a great question. I think that there are so many uh, components to what specialty food is. I think I could bucket it down into three, three components. The first one is that the, the, the food or beverage is actually crafted with some level of integrity and, and care, right? The process at which it's made matters. Um, I think the second is that there is a person or a community um, who is dedicated and passionate about that food or beverage and, and, and that aligns with, with, the, with the craftsmanship of it. Um, and I think the third is that, and I think most important is that it's about um, giving the, the end consumer an amazing food experience, right? Wherever they, that food consumer is on their journey. And so I think those three things, um, kind of integrity around product, um, the people or community that make it, and finally the experience at which the consumer receives is what makes something specialty. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Jamari. You're welcome. It's great talking to you as always. So you can find out more about this show at SpecialtyFood.com and HeritageRadioNetwork.org. And remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Come back often to get to know the people who are shaping the future of food. Special thanks to Jamari Pinkert of Hella Cocktail Company and to Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. This is Spill and Dish, a Specialty Food Association podcast.